coming up on this week's podcast. When do you go into a place of quiet? When do you sit still with the Lord your God, just one-on-one, Him and you, pouring out your heart, praying, getting closer, getting to know Him, getting to love Him, getting to understand Him, so that you could love Him more, appreciate Him more, and serve Him better? Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of the faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's a guest speaker with today's message. It is so good to be a child of God. In his house, where we're called to be, for his purpose, doing what pleases him. We all have our own story about what brought us to faith. Um, There's a uniqueness to each one of them. But at the same time, of course, we have one Lord working within us, the one Lord who is the uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever, working within us for his purpose, doing what he wants, using each of us in our own particular ways. So uh, my own particular story begins with me as an atheist. I was an atheist for a long time. And I mean a real atheist. I would have, if I had been in this room in 1985, I promise you, I would have hated you. Um, I would have had nothing good to say about you. I would have had scorn for you. I would have thought that you were people who put your brains in escrow uh, in order to come to the Lord. You cannot come to the Lord and use your brain. You have got to leave it behind if you were going to give your life to the Lord. Well, you do leave something behind. It's not your brain. But uh, I didn't know that at the time. Uh, on a Tuesday night in the dead of winter, a Monday night in the dead of winter, uh, 20-some years ago, I reached a point which a lot of us reached. Any of us who came to the Lord as adults can think of the time that actually led us up to the time where we, we made the decision. I can't really relate to anybody who came to the Lord as a child. I just, I just can't picture it. Um, but coming to the Lord as an adult, rather late in life, I thought it was late in life, um, I reached the point of emptiness, of despair, of desperation, of unhappiness, of anger, of frustration. I did nothing about it until I reached the point of panic, where, the whole, where everything just seemed to be closing in on me. Nothing seemed to make any sense. The only thing I knew to do was to call a friend of mine who, in the language I would have used at the time, was religious and went to church. I only knew to contact this person. I called an old friend of mine who I knew was religious and went to church. I remember her picture in my high school yearbook of her standing on the front steps of the state capitol singing Christmas carols uh, a number of years ago. And what I got from Sandy was, in talking to me, she was telling me about all the ways she saw God's hand at work the whole time, even when I repudiated God, even when I hated God, even when I wanted nothing to do with his people. She saw God's hand at work. And in a moment, I knew God was real. That he existed, that he lived, and that he was real. That's all I learned that night. It was a pretty big day, all in all. It was a lot to learn in one day, because on, on Sunday night, I thought that God was nothing, and on Monday night, I knew that God was real. That was, the, that was all the farther I was going to step in that day. By Tuesday, I knew one thing more. I could hardly wait for Sunday. 
it was Tuesday. It was a long time. And so I called the people that I knew that went to church, and I told them. They were all happy. You know, and I was amazed at how many people had been praying for me all that time. That said, you know, you've been on my heart. You, know, you were uh, uh, important to me. I loved you. I could not bear the thought of watching you dying, and I knew you wouldn't listen. So I prayed, and the Lord took over, and he did what had to be done. Sunday finally gets here, and I went to church for the first time in my life um, willingly, let alone eagerly, but willingly. I could hardly wait to get there. I went running to a church where my wife at the time was attending. We go into the church, and I come right through the door talking about Jesus. Right through the door, that's, that's it, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I figured I was going to be amid a bunch of people who were going to feel the same way. I was going to be in a bunch, a bunch of people, and they could hardly wait to embrace this new believer who was going to come in and talk about Jesus all day long. I was wrong. Matters what church you go to, I suppose. But I was wrong. But I did find that there was a group of people within this large church that did want to hear. And we ended up forming this little group, and we ended up being together a lot of the time, and we ended up starting Bible studies, and we talked and talked... Uh, these were people who were hungry for the word of God. They were as hungry for the word of God as I am, because I came to the Lord, I was starving, and I was now eating like a glutton. I wanted as much of the banquet that I could get. I was eating on feeding on the word of God every chance I could get. And within this church, there was a group of people who felt exactly the same way. And that was disturbing. It bothered me that I saw the light on in the eyes of such a small percentage of the people. Um, trying to figure out, well, there's a lot of big questions, big, big uh, picture questions. But in dealing with um, just staying with this small group of people, as we fed each other and sharpened each other and helped each other and, and built each other up in whatever way we knew how, as, as so often happens with, uh, in our walk, as, well, I'll say as always happens in our walk, I hit a spot where I didn't seem to be moving forward anymore. Remember times like that? You've had more than one, I guess. I've had plenty. Uh, we have our mountaintop experiences, but we also have the dark night of the soul. And I was having one of those times, and I was like, I, because I'll tell you what the problem was, I pictured a Christian life differently than the way it was playing out. I had my own image of what it was going to be and how this was going to work and what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to be a child of God and all those other things. And they all, they all came to nothing. The Lord was going to tell me who he was. I wasn't going to tell him who he was. He was going to work with me and tell me how he was going to, to, to proceed and work and change and all the other things that he does. And I just had to surrender these things. And I, I found that out by going to a, a person who turned out to be one of my spiritual mentors. If you, if you have not had a spiritual mentor, I would consider praying for one. Uh, somebody who can come along alongside of you and shepherd you at various times. And there are also going to be times when you are going to be a mentor to somebody else because the Lord is always working in you. You are always learning more. And there's always somebody else who doesn't know what you know, exactly what you know. And I went to this person, and without much other time going past, he said, well, what's your prayer life like? And I gave him a mother's milk Christian answer. I said, my whole life is a prayer. <laughs> my whole life is a prayer. I think of God all the time. So I'm always talking to God, just me and God, just talking all the time. When I'm driving, when I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing, when I'm at my desk, I am all my, it's a whole life in prayer. And he said, no, 
Don't stop that. But don't think that that is your entire prayer life. I mean, when do you go into a place of quiet? When do you sit still with the Lord your God, just one-on-one, him and you, pouring out your heart, praying, getting closer, getting to know him, getting to love him, getting to understand him, so that you could love him more, appreciate him more, and serve him better. Being who I was, I said, well, how long should the prayer be? I, you know, I, I want to know the right amount of time. Is there a good amount of time? Is there a length of prayer that's really ideal? And I, that if I want, So I just wanted to know what that was. And he said, look, if there, there's no hard, start, let's start with 20 minutes. Can you pray for 20 minutes? Go in and pray for 20 minutes. And I, So the first time I did it, I can remember, I sat on the sofa. Across from me was the TV with the VCR on top. And it said, like, uh, you know, 219 or some such thing. I'm like, okay, that gets me through. I've got to get to 239. I want to pray until 239. And I sat down, and I'm like, um, Lord, you are, like, really great. You, you are, you've been really great. People, the people who have been worshiping you before, all this time, they were right. And I went on, like, I look up, it's now, you know, uh, you know, what, what did I say? Like one minute had passed. I, like, I got to do this. I have to do this 19 more times. I got to, you know, I got to do. How do I get through to uh, to 20 minutes? How do I how do I make that so that I can actually get a prayer that lasts that lasts so long? I went to my spiritual mentor and I, I said, "Okay, uh, my prayer life is really. I mean, I'm struggling." I'm just pushing. I can't believe it. I love the Lord this much, but when I sit to him one-on-one, I fumble like a guy on a first date. I can't talk to him. I don't know anything to say. He said, try the Psalms. Psalm 63. A Psalm of David when he was out in the desert of Judah. At the moment, at that time, he was um, hiding from Absalom. Absalom wanted to kill him. So he had this... um, uh, this combination of his love for the Lord and his fear of his circumstances, and this is the psalm that comes out of that, Psalm 63. Let's, can we read that as a, as a body of Christ? You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced.
looking at a scripture, there's usually a word that jumps out. And for me, it was this word. The hunger that I had that I was doing in, in pursuing God that, that came across, the idea of thirst fit the bill just as well. That there was something missing that had to be satisfied, something without which I was in real trouble. And the words that thirst, they come up with all these different uh, adjectives, all these different synonyms that come up for them. The craving, the craving. I've got to have this. I cannot do without this. It is not something I can circumvent. There's no substitute for it. I have got, if I don't have this, I'm going to be in real danger. I'm going to be left behind. I'm going to be left out. I'm going to be weakened. I'm going to be undermined. My faith is going to be hurt. Expressed in terms of the, of the zeal, the energy, the passion for Jesus Christ. The need. We know what thirst is like. Thirst, thirst is not an option. Thirst doesn't, is, you know, water is not an option. You have got to have it. You don't have water. You don't have the Spirit of God. You are going to die. You are going to die. The eagerness. For, for what it's worth, I start looking forward to Sunday in this church on the way home. Sunday is seven days away. There is something about being in the midst of a group of people, all who, of whom thirst for God. All of whom thirst for God. Now, I'm not the judge. We're, none of us are the judge. I don't know who's going to heaven or hell, but by your fruit you will know them. And what I see here, what I discern here, is a group of people, every one of whom has a thirst for God. This is the place to be that eagerness, that drive, that appetite expressed in desire with a passion and the yearning that leads to the sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And again, expressed in the term hunger. If there is no thirst for God in the heart of a person who claims to follow Christ, their claim is false. There has to be an understanding that God is who he is. O God, thou art my God. Earnestly do I seek thee. I was told early on in my faith that there are things that you know that you're supposed to have as a Christian. If you don't have them, pray, pray to get them. You know, may say, I don't love God as much as I want to. Pray to love God. It's, that's a legitimate prayer. I don't follow you as closely as I think I should. Pray that you will do that. It is just that thirst, that hunger to move forward, that has got to be there. If you're going to be a Christian, that thirst is one of the signs that you're on the right track. That's, that thirst is one of the signs. You don't have to worry or fear if you're not following Jesus, if you're letting him down, if you're giving him a headache. You don't have to worry about it if you have that thirst. That thirst itself comes from God. You're aware of that, right? Remember in the book of Philippians where he says, work out your salvation, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work in you both to will and to do the things of God. The will itself is the work of God. If you have the will in you and you're wondering whether or not you're coming up empty or whether or not you're on the wrong track, having the will alone is a sign that God is at work in you doing what he wants in you to move you forward with him. That thirst is not optional. 
It is not a feature that some Christians enjoy and others don't. Christians thirst for God. They thirst for Christ, to be close, to hold fast, to clutch Him. Now, looking at this, we think of these oftentimes as these are individual things. The Lord works through each one of us as individuals. He comes to us, deals with each of us where we are for his purpose, but there is nothing that is done in an individual Christian that is not also done in the context of the church, right? Everything about our Christian walk is geared towards connecting us with other Christians, The church is essential, meaning the essence, with a capital C church, is essence of the plan that Jesus has on earth. He built his church intentionally, and all of the um, New Testament, from Acts all the way through to the word Amen at the end of Revelation, is in the context of the church. That we who are then um, claimed by Jesus, who surrender to him, are guided to the church. There's nothing in the scripture where it says, okay, there's a group of people that we work with in the church and there's another group of people over here who are all lone wolves and we work with them individually. No. We are all gathered, called, assembled, and the assembly is sacred and we are told not to forsake it. Everything is done within the context of the church where we are to work for the purpose of God, for the kingdom of God. I distinguish oftentimes between the church with a capital C, and the brick-and-mortar church, which I often call the wooden church because I like the uh, double meaning that it has. Have you ever been in a wooden church? This church hasn't been here forever. You went to church. Some of you maybe found the Lord while you were here, but I think a lot of us were going to other churches first before we found our way here. Have you been in a wooden church? What's that like? Especially if you have a passion for Jesus, what's it like to sit in a wooden church surrounded by people who, like, are looking at their watches. We had a, a, a friend of, of that, uh, in the church. He had a watch that uh, went off at 12 o'clock. Had an alarm watch that went off at 12 o'clock. It played the Yellow Rose of Texas. <laughs> it's 12 o'clock. It's time to go. I have done, you know, I have, and I told people, you might not like this either, but I said, clock watchers are not going to like me. We worship as the Spirit leads. You know, we lost some members that way. You know, I hope you find a church that knows how to worship strictly and that when the alarm clock goes off, you say, our worship is finished. We've worshipped all there is to worship today. There is nothing else that can be said to Jesus today. We're cutting off. It's time to get home before the lines get too long at the country buffet. So that's what I told people, is that we worship as the Spirit leads. There's, um, my wife Denise has a book of the history of Annapolis, has these old pictures and so on. One of the pictures is of, of a bunch of gentlemen standing in front of the AME Zion Church downtown. And behind them, they're just standing there, and, the, and behind them is a, a board. You know, remember how, like, on the churches, they used to have these boards, and it would say, Today's Hymns, and all that kind, you know, all those kind of things. We always had those up on the board. And this one thing said, Sunday Worship... Sunday worship, 10 to 8. 10 hours. These guys went to church every Sunday for 10 hours. There, you know, and the Sunday was given over to the Lord. 
there's um, in the church, what I think what we're seeing is that one of our biggest mission fields is to the church itself. I know we're looking in other places. We, go, we all go where we're led. We're, we're led to different places. The Lord, we give our lives to the Lord. He takes us. He directs us. He puts us where he wants us. But I am convinced that a very important part of the capital C church is mission work to the lowercase c church. The people who have walked away from the Lord, the people whose faith has burned cold. I've been to churches. Uh, well, does anybody know that the, uh, there was an Episcopal bishop in New Jersey who did not believe in the resurrection? Anybody heard this? His name was Bishop Spong. He just uh, retired not too terribly long ago. What do you want to be a bishop for in a Christian church if you don't even have the hope of the resurrection? What do you tell people when they come through the door? You say, well, we, you know, we tell you how to be a nice person. We tell you how to be a contributing member of society. Well, we can do that as Christians, but, at the same, but this is not a reason to get out of bed every Sunday morning and trot yourself off to church to hear the kind of stuff that you could read um, you know, in uh, you know, the newspaper. We all know this stuff. The idea of coming to, the, to, to worship is literally to pour ourselves out to a God who is worthy and see what it is that he wants to do with us. This is all for a greater purpose. It is all within the context of the church. We give ourselves over to him in our thirst, and this is what we want to see from people because we know that this is part of the covenant, that our love for him is because he first loved us. We give ourselves to him, and he goes about his work in us, perfecting us and using us. One of the, the, um, uh, one of the verses in the psalm is, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Working together. The Lord working within us for his, for his purpose. Um, we're out for big game here. We who are in the church are called to a cosmic purpose. And yes, it's, that includes uh, feeding the hungry in the neighborhood and the other things we have to do, but we are doing battle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. We're a part of that here in Arnold. This is, this is something that we have joined when we gave ourselves to the Lord and put ourselves in his hands and allowed him to work within us. We who thirst after Jesus, who come to him panting for him, when he indwells us and works within us, he, he works within us, first of all, to satisfy us. We're satisfied, as, uh, as David reminds us, but for a purpose. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got churches out there that don't believe in the, res- in the resurrection. I know of churches where they went to a parent of a kid in Sunday school and said, you have got to tell your kid to stop talking about Jesus in our Sunday school class all the time. He's upsetting all the other kids, and they're going home and their parents are getting upset. I'm getting too much flack. Tell them to not. That happened at a church about three miles from here. This is no kidding. They talk about Jesus too much. I had a lady at my church when I was in Ellicott City. I went to her and talked about Jesus, and, and she said, we know all that already. Talk about something else. Here's a person who comes to church every Sunday with a cross up on the steeple saying, I know everything about Jesus there is to know. Talk about something else. I don't have anything else. I, I to talk about, to preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. 
Um, if you understand that in its entirety, for heaven's sake, speak up, because there's a lot of people have just simply have not gotten to the point where they know everything there is to know about Jesus. Are you hiding your light under a bushel? I never got through to, to Ellen. Um, she was coming to church because it was the right thing to do. Uh, when I was a kid, there were certain people in my neighborhood who went to church, and they called it their obligation. And when you went to church and you fulfilled your obligation, you crossed it off your calendar, it was off your to-do list, and that was one less thing to do next week until next Sunday hit when you did your obligation again. There's that eagerness, that appetite to be a part of the body of Christ is what Jesus is looking for. He stirs that up within us. Now, just in closing, all right, fine. Um, I've, got the, um, I've got the thirst, or I know I'm supposed to have the thirst. What do I do now? The answer is the same. You press into God, earnestly do I seek thee, and you get into his word in a major way. That is always good advice, good counsel for everybody who wants to draw closer to the Lord. You get into the word, and you dig, and you pray over it, and you study, and you talk with other people about it to see what they see that you do not. As iron sharpens iron, we work together to understand these things. And so the idea becomes that out of that we grow in the faith and begin to put it into practice, the whole idea of this is not, is not just to be blessed, but to understand the blessing as being that we are now useful and, and needed in the kingdom of God to do his kingdom work. The word is the answer. Pressing into the word, pressing into Jesus, the person of, the person of Jesus, the living Lord who is the head of this church, to whom we go for direction, to whom we go for permission, to whom we go for uh, blessing, who is the head of the church, that we seek in prayer, in the word, as a body, to understand his purpose, to go and do the things that he wants done, which are probably, for many of us, way beyond what we're picturing. We're after a big game here. Who's the Lord of this world, according to Scripture? Satan. Satan. We as the church are planted here in the world but not of the world to attack, repel, advance against and put behind and vanquish Satan. This is the place where he reigns. This is the arena within which he works. We are called here, placed here in the world but not of the world to go and do battle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a big task, which, of course, obviously, we're not left to our own to do. The task of the church, then, is to thirst for God, come to him in, in, um, in that state of abject need, hold fast to the one who also will not let anyone snatch us out of his hand, to thirst for his will, to seek his will, to discern his will, and then to honor his will. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching, focused on the Jewish roots of the faith, and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep.
Mengucapkan